tradition every birthday 30 second dance party to this and then yes. also this year you know nobody's been able to have birthday parties so everybody's yeah. like hey will you and seek send like a video saying happy birthday to my husband or whatever and we just dance to this and we're just like yeah <laughs> every time so yeah. it's my birthday everybody a do a 30 second <laughs> dance party and find some joy in your life today yay also this is historical af i'm kina <laughs> and i'm robin we are a historian and a special guest bringing you the weird and random ocean nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes i'm so excited that you're here for oceans <laughs> because you're the biggest ocean nerd i've ever met and i'm so excited <laughs> that's a good way to put it ocean nerd <laughs> for those of you not watching <laughs> And you should watch. You should join Patreon. She's got a shark hat, an angler onesie, right? And a, yep, and I'll, a, I'll put it on when we talk about yes. anglerfish. Yes, and he glows. <laughs> He's a little anglerfish. Uh, like a, is it a plush? Yeah, is that, yeah, she's, yeah. She's a bright, big stuffed. And the light changes colors. <laughs> and she's so soft. I never knew I was missing that in my life until now. <laughs> um, Think Geek used to have them. I just learned this week that Think Geek doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, they kind of sold out to GameStop. I am crushed. <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this before. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist so bad. And all I did was obsess over marine animals. And I I think for a long time I was trying to raise money because SeaWorld used to do those summer camps where you could like learn to be like a SeaWorld yeah. caretaker. And I never made enough money to go, but... I'm just really excited about this. Tell everybody the classes you took because I am so incredibly jealous. <laughs> okay. So I am scuba certified. A year and a half ago, I took some specialty classes to get specialty diver certifications. So I took coral and fish identification and then shark and sea turtle ecology. And then right now, SSI, which is the the group that I got certified through. You can get certified through SSI or PADI, which is P-A-D-I. They did, it's a manta ray and shark expanded. So I get to get even more in-depth information about all of the different types of rays, which is so cool. I love manta rays. They're so cute. At the aquarium here, they have a, a big ray tank. And my partner calls me the Stingray Whisperer. <laughs> so my story is super dark. So maybe I should go first so we can end it on your fun weirdness and yeah, not death. My, my ending is hilarious. Like, <laughs> okay, not, good. Not dark hilarious, not morbid hilarious. Just like, holy shit, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. We're, what the what? Let's go in some dark places. <laughs> then, yeah, then let's totally do yours first. Yeah. So, apparent before I just Googled some like fun facts about oceans, because why not? Most of us, I think we all know, like the ocean is home to nearly 95% of all life. But, like, haven't we only explored like 2% of it? <laughs> like, uh, about five. It's five. Okay. It's, we've actually like explored, explored five, but about 20% of the ocean has been either mapped explored kind of looked at or just even seen by humans about 80 percent of the ocean nobody's even like 
looked at. Okay. And that is terrifying to me. Like I, sometimes I think what would be scarier going to the depths of the ocean or to space? Like I'm afraid of heights, but also there's no telling what would eat me in the ocean. So I don't know. Most scientists agree that it is the ocean. Really, there's only one way to die. That's true. You just explode before you know what's happening. Something yeah, could exactly. chew off your limbs before you die. So that might be a little bit more. Yeah. I don't know why that's where my brain goes. <laughs> like a weird version of that movie, The Meg. <laughs> it was so bad. But it was oh, so God. funny. I that movie it. was so much fun. I can't oh, wait. Oh, it was fun. I yeah. think, did they make a sequel or are they working on a sequel? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Sharks uh, are the bomb. Sharks are so good. Oh, there's enough gold in the ocean for all of us to have nine pounds of it. Yes. That's a lot of gold. And it, it's most of it is like not even dust. The particles of it are so, 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 so tiny that it's not even dust. Oh, this one's a good one. The Pacific is wider than the moon. Yeah. So it's 12,300 yeah. miles across. Yeah, so you that gotta figure five from... times the diameter of the moon. Wow. When you put that in like con ooh. We've got to figure you know, Cape Horn to the the yeah. end of South America down to the end of uh, Argentina. Yeah, that's fucking huge. The pressure of the ocean can crush you like an ant. So that's fun. <laughs> and you don't even have to get that deep for it to crush you like an ant. Yeah, so the Mariana Trench, which is 35,802 feet below the surface, includes the deepest points of the planet, and the water pressure is 8 tons per square inch. Yes. And I have some cool facts about the Mariana Trench. Oh, cool. If, if that you want me to talk about creepy. it now or, or wait. We can wait. Okay. Oh, it's like, it says it's like holding 50 jumbo jets. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So, yes, the ocean is majestic and wonderful and also scary. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so I'm doing random, and my random word was trouble. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So that's from Leanne. So thank you, Leanne. She's one of our spicy AF patrons. And uh, shameless plug, if you are a Patreon, brilliant and above, you get to pick a random word and a story and all that good stuff. So what could be more troublesome than wrecking your ship? And that's not even the worst part of your story. <laughs> the wreck's not the bad part. Because, you know, the ocean is a murdery mistress. So we're going to talk about the unfortunate story of the ship Medusa or the Medusa. Have you ever heard of it? No, I don't think I have. Okay, good. <laughs> I hope it blow everybody's minds. That's because there's roughly a million shipwrecks in the ocean. Oh, yeah. I'm sure once I start talking about it, you'll recognize it because, spoiler alert, it did inspire a really famous work of art, which is another reason I picked it. So here we go. This ship was a 40-gun palace class frigate. 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 (laughs) Frigate. Frigate. Like a frigate. A frigate of the French Navy that was built in the Crucy shipyard, and it launched in 1810. So we're in the early 19th century here. She took part in the Napoleonic Wars during the late stages of the Mariatis Campaign in 1809 to 1811, and then also as part of the raids of the Caribbean. So she she worked. She badass. She has good history on her. She got around. 
She got around. And then in 1816, following the Bourbon Restoration, the Medusa was armed in flute to ferry French officials to the port of St. Louis in Senegal. And I had to do a Google because I didn't know ship stuff. So in flute means that they removed some of the cannons. Fancy ship talk. Did not know that. Anywho, they're heading to Senegal and West Africa to formally reestablish French occupation of the colony along with three other ships. The country was under British jurisdiction during the Seven Years' War in a bid to cripple France's economy and ruin their international trade. But with the Treaty of Paris in September of 1783, Britain was defeated at the American War of Independence, and it prompted them to hand over the country to France. This convoy consisted of administrative officers, the French governor of Senegal, Julien Desiree Schmaltz, and his family and staff, a sizable army and colonists to settle in this colony and help rebuild the country. So the party totaled 400 people, 160, which were the ship's crew. In addition to just regular colonists, they actually had explorers, engineers, scientists, teachers, carpenters, and tradesmen too. So it's a pretty diverse group of people on this ship. Yeah. According to ports.com... <laughs> <laughs> the distance between the port in France and Senegal is 2,439 nautical miles. And then if you look at like ships in the 19th century, usually average five to eight knots, depending on the size of the ship and weather. So we could just sit in the middle and say that they're going seven knots because they're a little bit lighter without the cannons. So in the best case scenario, it would take about 14 and a half days at sea to get to that port. And I said, but this is not the best case scenario where I wouldn't be talking about it. So <laughs> here we go. So the idea is 400 people are like 14 days. We're going to have a new home. Everything's great. Yay. Everything was not great. This is also a lot of French. So I'm sorry because I can't speak French. All right. So the Viscount Hughes de Roy de Chamaray was the captain of the Medusa. And this dude fucked up. Oh, so, so bad. Imagine being so bad at your job that in most sources, your name isn't even used and you're just listed as the inept or the incompetent captain. <laughs> I like had to go through probably about five of my sources before somebody said his name. It was so bad. That's impressive. You, so, you know, you've done fucked up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So during the French Revolution, he actually fled and went to England. He was just like, I'm out. But he was pardoned during the Restoration as a re-entrant, and he took advantage of this to return to the Navy, and he obtained the rank and pension of frigate captain. So this is after 25 years of being on land, hasn't captained a ship, has no experience, does not know what he's doing. So it's a good start. And he was given command of our girl, the Medusa, replacing Bonapartist commander Francois Ponet. And it was all because of politics. Well, of course. So Dude was listening to orders from the French governor to get there quick-like, and he wasn't paying too much attention to the angry ocean <laughs> and all the signs of a much angry ocean to come. So he's ignoring signs like white breakers and mud in the water. So he's just like, do 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 don't care. Gotta get there fast. And he was ignoring the other ships because there was three other ones that were joining them. And he sped forward and he lost sight of the other ones because they were like, 
Um, we're paying attention and we know what the fuck we're doing. So we're just going to hang back here. And he opted to sail the most direct route along the coastline, even though the crew was warning him that the area was filled with sandbars and the ship would be safer if they went farther out. So that's like a super rookie mistake. I don't, I don't know how to sail or do a ship thing, but I honestly, I think I would figure that on my own. And when your when all of your crew is telling you no 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 bad bad no 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 listen to them yes it gets worse it always gets worse and at another point in time he let a philosopher navigate the ship while he was below fooling around with his mistress he was a philosopher he had absolutely no idea what he was doing he was just like that's a ship. I guess we'll just keep going where we're going. I don't know what I'm looking for. Yeah. But the most egregious, I just like using that word, thing that he did was that he thought a large bank of clouds on the horizon was the Cape. And he based (gasps) his whole calculation on that, which is a huge misstep. And so he had no actual, like, accurate picture of where they were sailing to. So that's not great. No. And the Medusa ran aground about 30 miles off the coast, which is kind of like major Titanic vibes. You know, like, we got to get there fast. You know, yeah. everybody's telling them, slow down. You're going to hit the iceberg. And they're like, nah, we're good. And we got plenty of room. Iceberg, and then, what iceberg? Boom. So, yeah, same same idea here. But a little like at least the captain of that ship did some tried, stuff right. Tried to steer away. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Had guilt. We'll learn this guy doesn't care. So, on July 2nd, 1816, our incompetent and inept captain ran the naval warship ashore off the coast of Mauritania Mauritania, Uh, on the bank of Arguin after crashing into a reef. This catastrophic failing resulted in the beaching of the ship 50 kilometers from mainland, and they had to abandon the ship. So even after running aground, the ship could have likely been saved if the captain had agreed to jettison the ship's heavy cannons, lightening the load, but he refused to do so. The governor on board likewise refused to throw off heavy barrels of flour. So it's like, save the ship? No, save the flour. Going great. Um, Politicians should not be captains. (laughs) That's what I'm getting. Okay, so evacuating the Medusa, more than 400 passengers on board were unable to fit in the accompanying lifeboats. And instead, the panicked captain, fearing from an impending storm, ordered approximately 150 people to travel on an improvised raft towed behind the lifeboats. Yeah, that sounds safe. To make things even more fucked up, the only people allowed to be on the lifeboats was the wealthy elites and the captain. Sounds like he's uh, chumming the water so that the sharks can come. Yes, yes, yes. So at least the Titanic was like, women and children. This guy's like, no, me. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck those kids. I'm going. So it's great. So the rest had to make do with a makeshift wrap. They were given some biscuits, which they tossed in the water. So they were soggy. So that's not fun. And they gave them six casks of wine and two casks of water, which the water fell in and they were not able to retrieve that. 147 people were left to their own devices without a compass for navigation. 
The raft was 20 meters, 66 feet by 7 meters, 23 feet in width, and was nicknamed La Machine by the crew. This is where it gets worse. If you, <laughs> I'm just like, it's bad, but it's not yeah, really bad. <laughs> the passengers were hesitant to board the raft until an infantryman threatened to shoot anyone who refused to board it. After 40 crew members boarded, the raft began to sink and passengers had to throw their provisions overboard to make room for 107 more people that were expected to board the raft. That's not great. That's how they lose more water and wine and food. Yeah. During the chaos, the governor, comfortably seated in his armchair, was carried to a lifeboat along with the rest of his family and a large number of chests. Heavy chests. Not people. Who needs those lives, you know, that you could save when you have your clothes or whatever the fuck? Dick weasel. There were some crew members that actually decided to stay on the Medusa and avoid this whole clusterfuck. And we'll get back to those people. (laughs) The plan was that the lifeboats would tow the raft, but the officers on those boats believed that their chances of survival would be stronger if they didn't have to tug the raft behind them and its desperate survivors. So they cut the ropes that bound the boat to the raft, leaving their fellow passengers to their doom. But it was only after a few miles. They didn't make it very far before they're like, nah, let's just cut it. It wasn't even a day. Like, they didn't... I'm so frustrated. (laughs) Okay, and now it's about to get darker. (laughs) I'm just trying to prepare you. This is where it starts to get darker. Yeah, it starts... Yeah. When the people on the raft realized what was happening, they began to cry, Viva la Roy, long live the king, in an effort to appeal to raw. Oh, yeah. Wow. God damn, French. I can't speak you. I try. (laughs) The only reason I know that is because we used to have a a fantastic hockey goalie here in Denver named Patrick Waugh. And it was Viva Viva la Roy. What Roy? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I could get it eventually. So they're trying to appeal to the sense of duty. The cries were made in vain. The lifeboat sailed off with both the captain and the governor on board, along with luxury goods and wine. I bet they didn't even look back. I'm like, see ya. Of course not. It, it's it's the serfs. Who cares? Yes. Who cares about the peasants? I mean, you know. And most of the boats were well below capacity, and when some aboard the rafts tried to board the boats, they were threatened with swords. So, another, like, Titanic thing, you know, at the beginning they weren't filling them, and people were trying to board and they are threatening to shoot them. So, it's a a couple of parallels. And then the governor's secretary was apparently really distraught. So, he was deemed less important than the governor in his beloved armchair and he was not invited to join the lifeboat with his boss and he was relegated to the raft he was so distraught that his boss left him to die that he threw himself overboard not once but twice both (laughs) times the raft members kept hauling him back onto the raft i'd be pissed (laughs) well imagine like i've had some bad bosses before but not that bad I know you worked for me for like ever, but my armchair, man, I need to be in my armchair. I have to be comfortable. Yeah, you understand, right? Right. I mean, come on. Oh my I'm god. I'm rich. <laughs> I have to be. Fuck these people. Yes, more additions to the fuck you list. 
So panic was setting in. They had no means of steering. They had no navigation. They had no water because all that was left was the wine. And things were starting to escalate very quickly because humans are animals. When humans are cornered, they panic and it, it, oh, it escalates really quickly. So at this point, there's storms. There's unbearable heat, no food, no water. People are dropping dead like flies due to exhaustion and starvation or by being killed. The mood on the raft was every man for himself or woman. There were women too. It did not go well for anybody. (laughs) Early on, you were either fighting or people were drinking so much they lost consciousness, which I'm on team B here. Yeah, Just drink until hopefully you wake up and you're saved. Drink until you lose consciousness, fall overboard, and you drown. Yes. So 20 men were killed or completed suicide on the first night. Dozens more were killed from being washed overboard or from fighting in the days followed. With only part of the raft not being submerged, the survivors were competing violently to gain a position in the center where it was dry. After the soggy biscuits ran out probably day one, Many of the passengers resorted to eating the leather of their pouches, belts, and hats. Some even ate their linens. Luckily, a group of tiny fish, slightly smaller than a herring, got trapped between the side of the timbers of the raft. So the castaways lunged at the fish and managed to store 200 of them into an empty cask. However, the fish was not enough to feed that many people. And by the fourth day, just 67 people remained. So that's like half, right? Because it was like 130-ish? Yes. And by day four, they started to resort to cannibalism. Because they had no trees. There was no trees in the ocean. Have to resort to cannibalism. No trees. The first quote says, oh, oh, hold on. Marie just unplugged my laptop and it's old. So (laughs) (laughs) My battery is shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so a quote from the survivor. Several of us fell upon the dead bodies which covered the raft and cut off pieces of flesh and consumed them. I ask you not to condemn those who are dying of hunger on that pitiless sea. Can you imagine surviving this? Another survivor explains, quote, Our hunger was so great and our portion of fish was so small that we added it to some human flesh, which dressing rendered less disgusting. Man. Humans will do anything to survive, but I mean, it's like we can't judge them. We all were animals. So we would do the same thing. Yeah. I don't it, think it, I would make it to this point. My survival skills are very limited. Yeah, mine aren't so great either. But I, 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 I'm, I'm a fat chick. I, I would be pretty tasty. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's going to get worse. Okay. <laughs> By the eighth day, the strongest of the crew started to throw the weak and wounded into the ocean to die. Only 27 of the 147 passengers remained, and half of those were severely injured or suffering from hallucinations. Wine was the only sustenance they had left, so the more sound half of the survivors decided in order to make the provisions last longer, they were going to murder the weaker raft mates. So here we are, 15 survivors left. And it's another four days before they were rescued after 13 days at sea by the ship, the Argus. At this point, 10% survived. 
That is such a tiny number. One of the survivors described their appearance as follows, quote, let the reader imagine 15 unfortunate men almost naked, their bodies and faces disfigured by scorching beams of sun. 10 of the 15 were hardly able to move. Our limbs were excoriated. Our sufferings were deeply imprinted on our features. Our eyes were hollow and almost wild, and our long beards rendered our appearance still more frightful. We were but the shadows of ourselves. Wow. That's some deep shit. That's pretty wicked. So the ship just accidentally found them. They picked them up, gave them some broth and some more wine, and then they took them to St. Louis to recover. Five of them, including Jean Charles, was the last African crew member, died within the next few days. So in total, only five people survived this. Ten people, my bad. And that's, <laughs> I can't count. <laughs> but that's just on the raft, right? Yes, because just on the raft. Of, of course the bourgeoisie gets away with it. Yes. So out of this, 10 of the raft, 147 people on the raft survived. Our captain did return to the side of the wrecked ship, but not to see if any of the crew that had like stayed there survived. He went to retrieve the gold that was still on the ship. Well, of course. I mean, what's important, you know? But while they're there, they did find that 17 men who had decided to stay behind had managed to survive the 54 days. Forgot 54? to write down. four. Yeah. He wow. waited a long time to go back because he's like, oh, yeah, we got some gold. We should go go check that out. Can you imagine how pissed you would be? Be like, you didn't send a rescue ship? Fucking 54 days. Yes. And I think it was like 70 something people stayed behind. So 17 to live. That's I. Oh, man, I'd be so pissed. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. This guy didn't get like. A mutiny. So the Medusa surviving surgeon, Henri Savigny, submitted his account to the authorities. It was leaked to an anti-bourbon newspaper, and it appeared in the September 13th, 1816 article. So him and another survivor, the geographer Alexandre Corriand, then wrote a book about their account, and it was published in 1817. They blame the disaster on the naval command and, by extension, the entire backward-facing restoration regime. So this whole thing turned into a political scandal. Well, of course. Like it does. Mm Mm-hmm. And it went through five editions by 1821 and was also published with success in English, German, Dutch, and Italian translations. And a revision of the text in later editions increased the political thrust of the work. So they added some more jabs. Wow. The matter became a scandal in French politics, and officials tried to cover it up. At his court martial at the Port de Rochefort in 1817, the captain was tried on five counts, but was acquitted of abandoning his squadron, of failing to refloat his ship, and of abandoning the raft. So he's acquitted of all that, but he was found guilty of being incompetent and complacent. This is so, so fucked up. And he was also accused of abandoning the Medusa, you know, before all the passengers were safe, which a captain should never leave anybody behind. And even though this verdict exposed him to the death penalty, he was only sentenced to three years in jail. Well, of course. And since he's rich, he probably bought his way out of the three years in jail. So, yes, it's infuriating. So many lives. And if he would have just 
redone or what do they call it? The reshift the ship or something. Yeah, they would have all been okay. This is if you listen to the experienced crew members that yeah. knew how to sail a boat, mm-hmm. they would have been fine. Yes, if they would have just hired a captain with any experience. <laughs> It's just, it's so tragic and so preventable. So, impressed by the accounts of the shipwreck, the 25-year-old artist, Theodore Jericho, decided to make a painting based on the incident and contacted the writers of the book in 1818. So, a year after they wrote the book, he contacted them. He was in the midst of a torrid affair with his aunt when he read this book. (laughs) And he was being isolated from his family when she became pregnant. And so he didn't have a lot going on. So he poured all his energies into this painting, The Raft of the Medusa, which he exhibited at the Salon in 1819. So if you're a Patreon, I do a thing called Rave or Rage where I talk about paintings. And um, I'm going to do this painting where I can go into more detail about him because wowza. The ant banging alone is just wow. So um, if you want to listen to that, join Patreon. It's going to come out soon. But Jericho is a really cool artist. And I'm going to show you guys that are watching the painting now. That's pretty. I mean, it's a beautiful painting. Yes. So this painting is moments before they're rescued. So if you look, can you see my mouse? Yeah. Okay. So right there, there's a speck. And that's the Argus. And the raft is falling apart. There's bodies yeah. mostly naked. They're falling into the water. There's dead bodies. There's just desperation of people like waving their clothes as like a flag. It's dark. <laughs> but every single body and position has a meaning. So that's why I really want to go to it uh, deeper. But I'll save that for the Patreon episode. But yeah, he did a lot of research. So he read everything that he could find about this whole incident. He even intended or he attended the indictment trial of the ship's captain. He experimented with various models and wax figures. He studied drowned cadavers at the morgue so that he could figure out how to do the placement for these bodies. Wow. And this painting is huge. This painting is 16 feet by 23 and a half feet. So that's like bigger than life size. Mm-hmm. That's the actual raft was 23 by 66. So it's close. Yeah, it's enormous. And I have had the pleasure, or I don't want to say pleasure because it's depressing, but I've seen it in person. And it's so big that it puts your eye line like you're standing, you're at the foot of the raft looking at yeah, uh, these life-size people dying. And it's ooh, it's something. And it's at the Louvre in France. It's amazing. And he based it off of a quote from one of the survivors. Quote, the delirium of joy. We fell into profound despondency of grief. The ship Argus repaired two hours later and rescued those who remained. So it's talking about like there's a split second where they're just so happy to be saved. And then it was the moment of, oh, God, what have we done? And grieving what they did to survive. So that's. That's really, I mean, none of us can even imagine what it would be like, but humans will do anything to survive. We have. You can't fault people for doing something like that in that situation. Mm -hmm. 
And There's this really great book. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. It's called Night by Elie Wiesel. I love him. He survived <gasps> the Jewish Holocaust. And he goes into detail about how in the beginning, everybody's helping each other and they're trying. And then he's like, they just beat the humanity out of them to where it was just survival. And it was yeah. like, you lost all feelings, you know, even your own family. You're just like, you're going to die. So I'm going to do what I need to do survive. And it's just the thing where you're not human anymore. You're animals. And that's always stuck with me. I mean, he said it way more eloquently than that, but it's just the idea that when it comes to like survivalist things like this and, you know, the Jewish Holocaust, like you just stop being human just to survive. Yeah. Heartbreaking. Ellie Wiesel was a genius. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he's heartbreaking. He's painful. Mm -hmm. He's so hard to read, but Honestly, I, I think everybody should read Nights. I oh, really I think so, do. too. It's, it's very good. Yeah. Um, it, oh, it was so hard to read. I, as far yeah. as, like, survival and what it does to your soul to survive, I think he, he really summed it up in a way that somebody that hasn't been through something like this could ever understand. Yeah. So this painting was controversial from the moment it was displayed. The theme was obvious. Those marooned on the raft were abandoned by their leaders. Jericho's technique was revolutionary as it was dramatic. So he is known as like, this is one of the greatest works of romanticism. The official reaction was not really that great. He did not live to see it reach its greatness. He actually died of tuberculosis in 1824. And he was... Recorded saying to a friend, saying, it's not worth looking at. I shall do better. Like, come on, dude. This painting is insane. It's amazing. But he didn't get to see it become what it is, a masterpiece today. And it is at the Louvre. And it's one of the museum's major attractions. It's very powerful in person. So, and finally, one little more fun fact. In 1980, a French marine archaeological expedition led by Jean-Yves Blot located the Medusa shipwreck site right off the coast of modern-day Tani- Mauritania. Yeah, uh, Mauritania. Team- <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Words are hard. <laughs> so the team operated out of the port city of, oh, shit. I did not look that up. New, shit. New Dehubo? N-O-U-A-D-H-I-B-O-U. Oh, I should have looked this up. I know this is West African, so it's probably I'm butchering this. Yeah, Nudibal? Maybe. Nudibal? That sounds familiar. Yeah, it's, I I don't know how the the pronunciation would f- phonetically. Me either. Some of the so they operated out of a port city <laughs> north of the wreck site, and it used four sailboats. So they could try to find it. The primary search tool was a -a one-of-a-kind magnetometer developed by the CEA. The search of the area was defined on the basis of accounts of the survivors and, more importantly, the records of the 1817 French coastal mapping expedition that found the vessels remained still projecting above the waves at that time. So they had so much information of where the ship was that they found it on the first day of searching. And in 19. 1980. So it's been 70 years. 60, 65. And part of it is still protruding. Was Oh, more than that. This is 1817. Yeah, this is. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Shit, I forgot that. So yeah, yeah, 170 years later. Yeah, so a long time, and they were able to recover artifacts, and everything is now exhibited in the Marine Museum in Paris. I guess when I go to Paris, that's one of the museums I've got to visit. Yes, I did not know they had a Marine Museum. I'm really bummed I didn't get to see that. But yeah, that's the story of the Medusa and the raft. And the wow. it has everything. Shipwrecks, cannibalism, really shitty people that need to be on the fucky list. Yeah. Lessons to be learned. Have a captain that knows how to sail. Yeah. Uh, don't try to speed up when people are telling you not to. But it was known as like one of the worst shipwrecks up until the Titanic. And then and now it's kind of known as the 19th century Titanic. But it's, yeah, it's little, I mean, they're both dark, but I mean, Titanic people didn't eat each other. That's because everybody froze to death. Froze to death. I mean, yeah. there, there wasn't the opportunity to eat anybody. And this is really because. You know, off the coast of Africa, like just the sun would have been brutal. Oh like, yeah, they were. That's why they were just dying of heat exhaustion. And then there's no water. You can't drink seawater; it dehydrates you. And and yeah, third degree sunburns. Oh, I'm sure. And if, if you, you get delirious, I'm sure people were drinking the water because they're getting yeah. desperate and just killing themselves faster. And that's just that's wow. Yeah, so terrifying and. I mean, there were no, like, records of sea creatures eating them alive. So, I guess that's <laughs> – there were no – nothing attacking them. So, I guess that's one bright side. <laughs> There's no silver lining to any of this. Yeah. I mean, there's sharks on wet in West Africa, right? Yeah, but it, it kind of partly depends on what type of uh, – what time of year – because uh, sharks are pel- pelagic, so it's mm-hmm. they will travel the entire way across the ocean for where they like kind of summer and winter as to where shark nurseries are and such. So they travel all over and they'll swim, you know, 3,000 miles in a season. Oh, okay, yeah, this would have been July. So I don't, I don't know, know where they're at in July. Yeah, I, I and it, part of it too depends on the species of shark. Yeah, and, yeah. Because I was thinking of that because they were just throwing people off constantly, and if they were bleeding, and you know, it yeah. attracts things. But there were no. Well, it, it would attract not only sharks, but like crabs and such are scavengers. They will eat bodies, seabirds. <gasps> Have you heard that? theory that Amelia Earhart crashed and was on this island where there's those giant crabs and they ate her alive. That's oh, one the of coconut the crabs? Yes. Oh. I I guess I hadn't heard that theory <laughs> until recently and they're talking about how they recently found a skeleton that was like ripped apart and like a monster had eaten it alive. I was like, holy shit. And they're like, yeah, it was I- a giant crab. I was like, I'm Checking that off a bucket list, not going there. <laughs> yeah, coconut crabs. They, oh God, I should have put some of those in here. Like the <laughs> weird sea creatures that look like they shouldn't, should be out of sci fi, but they're not. Wow. Yeah, coconut yeah. crabs. Chalk that up for something I learned on TikTok. I'm learning way too much on there. <laughs> but there's some really cool stuff on TikTok. 
I mean, like, witch TikTok is amazing. I know. I'm, I'm learning a lot. But yeah, I heard that theory. I was like, well, <laughs> I, that would I be honestly, a terrifying way to go. I still subscribe to the theory that that they crashed over deeper water because of a combination of running out of fuel and probably being a little disoriented as to where they were. Yeah. And if they survived impact, they would have drowned pretty quickly. Yeah. So that's my hope. Yeah, that'd be better than crabs. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Getting stuffed by PETA and then you get crabs. Oh, that's definitely on my list of like, check that off that way if I want to die. Holy crap. Being ripped shreds by a giant crab and eaten alive. No, thanks. (laughs) Oh, man. So what do you got? (laughs) Well, mine is much less dark. Mine is kind of, I chose weird. I'm kind of starting out with weird and cool facts about the ocean. 70% of the world is ocean, but we know more about space than we do about the ocean. More than 80% of the ocean has never been mapped, explored, or even seen by humans. Only like 5 to 8% has actually been like explored, explored. And most of that is fairly, fairly shallow. 94% of of life on Earth is aquatic, but about two-thirds of that is unidentified. And most of those unidentified species are in the ocean. Recently, I think it was like April of 2020, a researcher identified 16 species of deep sea fish that have skin so darkly pigmented that it reflects less than 0.5% of light that hits it. Kind of for a comparison, Vanta black, which is the world's blackest black, reflects 0.05%. Oh, wow. So I did it, not know that. Yeah. So it, it's Vanta Black reflects a lot less. But the researcher that found these, as she was taking the photographs of them, all, she, all you could see was kind of a void. So in order to actually get photographs of them, she had to set up really, really intense strobes to flash enough light on them that it would reflect the light. Holy fuck. They were creepy, creepy. <laughs> because deep sea, when you get that deep in the ocean, the only light that penetrates is bioluminescence. Like what's on my friend, the anglerfish, which we will talk about later with her <laughs> bioluminescence. I love, I love her so much. <laughs> She's, she is the best. Real anglerfish do not look like this. They are not soft and fuzzy. They they do have the light, but they are not soft and fuzzy, and they don't have like the swirl and the the happy smiley mouth. <laughs> yeah, they're a lot lot scarier. Yeah, let's let's put it that way. <laughs> Twelve people have set foot on the moon, but only seven have been to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, which is the deepest place. In the ocean. It's oh, a, wow. kind of a big crescent out between like Hawaii and Guam. It's a great big, huge crescent. And then there's a, a little deeper depression within it called Challenger Deep. And yeah, it's about 36 
8,070 feet deep. Up until last year, three people had been to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Two Americans in a Navy submersible in 1960. The third in 2012 was filmmaker James Cameron. Oh. Yeah. And then 2019 in May, an American explorer went to the bottom and he is recorded as having the deepest dive in the history of of diving because he went, I was like 36, 35, 90, something like that. 35,900 and some odd feet. And then last month, Three Chinese explorers went to the bottom. Oh, wow. um, In the last month, almost as many people have been to the bottom of the Mariana Trench as there have been people in the history of the earth that have been to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. That is fascinating. Yeah. And the Chinese scientists that went down actually live streamed part of while they were on the bottom whoa um, I'm right? to that. <laughs> isn't that amazing yes they're 30s they were i think thirty-five thousand nine hundred and twenty feet ish below the surface of the earth which is seven miles wow mount everest can fit in the bottom of the challenger deep and there's still like four miles of ocean between the top of Everest and the surface of that the water. Is insane. Okay, the ocean makes weird sounds all of the time. But one of the weirdest is called the bloop, which was in <laughs> 1997. Scientists have never figured out what caused it. And theories range from underwater ice quake which is from a great big glacier part of it calving off underwater to maybe it was cthulhu <laughs> i like that we one. don't know <laughs> hey, cthulhu ice quake. and that's tying in the wine i'm drinking tonight comes from lovecraft lovecraft wineries i so just we're love tying the idea cthulhu, cthulhu just mean a bloop <laughs> Cthulhu belched. <laughs> He's like, like what's the like boop? Maybe you're just booping somebody with his little tentacles. Boop. Yeah, he, boop. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, the world's largest waterfall is in the Denmark Strait Cataract, which is between Greenland and Iceland. Angel Falls in, I believe it's in Venezuela, is the highest above ground interrupted waterfall. The Denmark Strait Cataract Waterfall is three times the height of Angel Falls. Wow. And it carries about 2,000 times the water of Niagara Falls when Niagara Falls is at peak flow. Wow. That's how enormous. And it it happens because there's a line between uh, saltwater and freshwater. And the salt water is more buoyant, so the fresh water goes underneath and then falls. That was going to be my next question. Thank you for answering that. Yep. (laughs) Wait, I can't remember if it's salt water that's more buoyant or 
fresh water. I know people are more buoyant in salt, salt water. Salt because the so, Dead yeah. Sea is super buoyant. Yeah. Because it's got all the extra salt. Yeah, because yeah, people are more buoyant in salt water, so it takes more weight in order to dive in salt water than fresh water. I also want to go just lay in that the like Dead Sea and just float. That'd be so much fun. <laughs> go to Utah and float in the Great Salt Lake. Is that is it similar? The, yeah, the Great Salt Lake has a huge amount of salinity. And oh, cool! There I've used never to been be to kind Utah. Of, oh, okay. <laughs> you gotta come. You gotta come here, and we'll just we'll take off from Denver. You can go swimming in the Great Salt Lake. So, more historical artifacts are in the ocean than in all the world's museums ever, and that's wow. because there's about roughly maybe a million shipwrecks all over the world, and the vast vast majority of those are still undiscovered. That is um, fascinating. Right? Shipwrecks are so cool. That's was, one of the specialties I want to get in my diver specialty is to dive shipwrecks. I learned that one of the oh, which one is it? One of the Great Lakes. The Superior. body is it the one where the bodies don't decompose? Oh, uh, like Superior and Michigan. Both of oh. them are so deep and yeah. so cool. It was something about like there's nothing that eats bodies in that lake. And then also there's nothing that causes the gases to bloat. So they, so they call it like a graveyard or something. I had no idea. Um, One of the other cool places that has shipwrecks is the black sea and the Baltic sea. Mm -hmm. And it's because they've got an anoxic layer, which anoxic is there's no oxygen. So there's no bacteria. There are shipwrecks from like the 14th century that are damn near intact under this layer. Wow. Like to where you can go down and it's like, oh, wood, knock, knock, knock. I've seen things on that. And it's like, you can't bring anything up because the second oxygen hits it, it will destroy everything. It'll decompose so quickly. They are working on trying to figure out some way to keep the pressure and the, the bacteria out of it so they can preserve some of it. Literally, there's some where they have, like, opened kegs, and there's, like, pickled sturgeon in one of the kegs. Wow. That, I mean, theoretically, you could maybe eat, but it's 600 years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> I don't know that I want to eat 600-year-old sturgeon. Yeah, I don't think I do either. I don't know, though. Mm. I mean... How many chances in your lifetime are you going to get to eat 600-year-old sturgeon? That's true. That's a fascinating part of archaeology, the people that do shipwrecks. And it's just like the preservation part of it is so intricate because so much can go wrong. Oh, yeah. Okay. So talk about some of the weird animals in the ocean. Oh, there's there's a lot. So (laughs) many. From the adorable little Dumbo octopus which I have Aww. right here on my arm, my little Dumbo octopus. With his, It's got little floppy ears, and when it extends its uh, arms, the membrane between them, so it's got, it's an umbrella octopus, uh-huh. um, to the vampire squid from hell, which is, <laughs> they're so cool. They're this gorgeous red, and they've got this amazing mantle, and it is the last of their species that there used to be 
of the genus, there had been three and the other two are extinct. So there's only the vampire squid from hell left, but it's a link between squid and octopus. So it has eight arms and two tentacles and they're beautiful, super, super deep sea. And then you get down to like anglerfish and gulper eels, which have these enormous gaping maws and they use bioluminescence to attract their prey. These critters that I'm talking about all live in what's called the midnight zone. So it's, there's no sunlight that gets into this zone. It's not super, super, super deep, but it's 200 meters ish. So about 600 ish feet below the surface. Oh, oh wow. Um, so yeah, things look a little weird and the bioluminescence allows you to capture prey better because it's like, oh, ooh, shiny. Because, you know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, same. I like shiny things. Yeah, prey is attack. I mean, hello, <laughs> shiny. Because I'm shiny. Okay. So, you know, anglerfish, obviously super creepy looking because when you think about them, you see that that uh, glowing fishing rod and the huge mouth. The, the mouth on anglerfish completely covers its dorsal side. Oh, here, wait, switch up. <laughs> Ooh, costume change. That is anglerfish phenomenal. Game, which also changes color. I have an anglerfish. Incredible. Yes. This, the fishing rod, is it's an extension of the dorsal fin. Oh, so it's cool. like an which, you know, on the, the fish that have spiny fins, mm-hmm. this is just like a weird forward-facing appendage on your spinal fin. This visual is very helpful. <laughs> right? So, as I said, it's a modified dorsal ray, which is one of their spines. And this is a little, it's a luminescent organ that uses bacteria to glow. But the bacteria that are found inside the glow are different in different species of anglerfish. Oh, cool. And the bacteria used for the glow isn't found in the deep sea. Where is where does it come from? <laughs> <laughs> It's it's not found in seawater, so some scientists theorize that it's the bacteria in it reproduces and like as it decays, it replicates. Oh. Because it's not the same as any of the bacteria anywhere near around it. Well, that's really cool. That's fascinating. Yeah. And like I said, anglerfish have that huge mouth that wraps around and The bands of teeth all point in Mm -hmm. so that prey can't escape them. And the teeth, they can press them against the roof and the base of their mouth so that they can eat prey up to twice their size. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now you're kind of worried that anglerfish are going to eat people? (laughs) I mean, the thought did cross my mind. Most anglerfish are under eight inches. Mm-hmm. The largest anglerfish they've caught are about a meter long. Oh, okay. But those are pretty rare. Most of them are like under eight inches. And weirdly, this is what makes anglerfish even weirder. When scientists first discovered most species of anglerfish, they only found females. They oh. couldn't find male anglerfish. But the female anglerfish had like little parasites 
So they realized that the parasites attached to the female anglerfish were the male anglerfish. That they get absorbed into the females acting more or less as portable testicles. And some species can have up to eight males attached. So, you know, it's a lot of testicles to support. <laughs> I mean, that's... And because they've, they've become part of your circulatory system, you have to support those testicles. They're parasites. They're now your testicles. I, I love that testicles are parasites. <laughs> and that's why this is a female anglerfish. I need to Google. Testicles. <laughs> Take a shot every time you hear the word testicles. <laughs> Yeah, if you're here at my house, you're going to be drunk pretty quick because testicles. Wow. Can you imagine being the first scientist to figure out that's what that was? Being like, what? wait, what? And it took <laughs> years and years yeah. for scientists wow. to figure that out. And it, <laughs> not all male anglerfish get completely uh, like engrossed, completely parasitic to a female anglerfish. Some do kind of live separate lives, but the ones that do live separate lives are kind of gigantic testicles. <laughs> Reproduction. It, that's, that's kind of what male anglerfish do. Not all of them can actually catch prey and eat prey that they are reliant on a female anglerfish to support them. Yeah. Fascinating to look at. <laughs> oh, 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 nationalgeographic.com. This is their headline. Oh, shit. I don't want to subscribe. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I know. And that's the thing. National Geographic, you have to subscribe to them to so read their articles. <laughs> anglerfish taking romantic attachments to a whole new level. <laughs> I should have thought of that. That's witty. Okay. You know, when you talk about codependence, <laughs> male anglerfish have it in the bag. That is fascinating. I'm learning so much. <laughs> okay. And then I have a hilarious to wrap up tonight with. Okay. I'm excited. Better than a testicle? I think it's better than a <laughs> testicle. 1981. Cold War has ended. Russia's agreed to a whole bunch of pact saying, okay, okay, we're not going to, you know, kill anybody. So 1981, a Soviet submarine accidentally docks on an island belonging to Sweden. It's about 10 miles from a large Swedish naval base. So the Swedes kind of freak out. But, you know, being Swedish, they send rescue teams to help get the sub dislodged from the rocks and sent on its way back to, to the Soviet Union. And a couple months later, the Soviets apologized for the incident. Our bad. We got disoriented. We got our directions mixed up. We really did not intend to wash up on the rocks in Sweden because we really kind of weren't supposed to be there. And we're sorry. <laughs> so the Swedish Royal Navy is really on edge because the Russians have signed all these treaties saying that they're not going to be patrolling here. 
And some of the scans that the Swedish Royal Navy took of that sub showed that they had uranium-238. Oh, yikes. So even if it wasn't a nuclear sub, it's got uranium on board. So if they're mining it underwater to take back to to the USSR, we're treading on some weird territory here. Because the USSR said they're not going to do it anymore. So because of this, the Swedes are kind of like, this could potentially cause another Cold War incident. And it's becoming more and more concrete because the Russians just showed up in what had been international waters and then caught themselves on rocks in Sweden. (laughs) So it's proof that Russia is potentially trying to violate a bunch of these treaties. So the military begins recording more and more and more stuff underwater and they start hearing, you know, typical sounds, fish, whale songs, uh, fishing boats, regular subs, all of that. And then they start classify them according to threat level, like, oh, whales, (laughs) it's Swedish fishing boats, American subs. Yeah, whatever. They're they're friendly. It's all good. So they start hearing some really odd noises that don't sound like anything that the Swedish Navy has heard before. And they really kind of worried the Swedish Navy. So in 1982, for an entire month, the Swedes are sending out subs, boats, helicopters to try to find the source of these new weird noises and they can't find them. They're finding bubbles on the surface, but they can't figure out where this noise is coming from. And it's not a normal noise. It's a weird noise. So 1994, the Swedish prime minister writes a very strongly worded note to then Russian president Boris Yeltsin, reproaching him for his really piss poor control over the Russian Navy. 1996 comes along and Magnus Wahlberg and some other scientists that he worked with were brought into a secret room underneath the Bergen Naval Base in Stockholm to hear these sounds and see what they think of them. So Magnus had said he expected to hear like pings or propeller noise like you would see in a movie. And that's not what it sounds like. It sounds kind of like frying bacon. Like bubbles. Yeah. So he and a colleague are trying to figure out what the the hell is making these noises. And especially on a scale that's worrying the Swedish Navy enough to think that it could be a Russian sub. Or a new kind of Russian sub. Because it's, it's not a nuclear sub that they've ever heard. It's not any sort of diesel sub. They don't know. But because of the incident in 81, they're still a little leery. So Wahlberg had a theory. So he took a herring, went to the fish market, took a herring, stuck it underwater, and applied pressure to it. 
and recorded the noise. And he took the footage of it back to the Swedish Navy, and it was a perfect match to what they were hearing. Herring have a swim bladder, which is a little organ that holds air in it so they can Mm -hmm. regulate their position in the ocean so that they don't have to expend energy swimming. And herring swim in gigantic schools that are several square kilometers above and then, you know, 20 meters deep. Huge schools. So it kind of turns out that when you startle a herring, they squeeze the air out of their swim bladder through their anus. So something that could startle them is like, say, a Swedish sub on the lookout for Russian subs. So the weird sounds that the Swedish Navy thought was Russian subs patrolling the ocean, herring farts. (laughs) Which was good news because it meant that, you know, there were no Russian subs in the area. Fish fart almost caused another cold war. (laughs) And the Swedish Navy spent 10 years deploying their military in search of herring farts. (laughs) And in the years since the herring farts were identified, there have been zero reports of Russian subs in Swedish waters. (laughs) Oh, dying. Herring farts almost caused the second Cold War. That is incredible. Can you imagine being like the military leaders that have been, you know, make put all this money into like investigating these subs and then just finding out it was fish farts the whole it's time? Farts. Yeah. And uh, oh, Dr. Wahlberg actually has a TED talk that he recorded in 2012 oh, wow. talking about how they, they figured this out. So you can find that on YouTube. But yeah, he talks about how they figured out that it was herring farts that almost caused a second Cold War. How do you get from there to there? What a brilliant man. Like to even consider that. That's Amazing. Well, him and his colleagues. It mm-hmm. wasn't just Dr. Wahlberg. Okay. There, there was a whole team working on it. And the research I've done doesn't identify who else was on his team and who his colleagues were. Well, that's unfortunate. I know. But that's the whole thing. I do want to give a shout out to his colleague. Yeah. Because yeah, he you. was not alone in finding out that it was herring farts. I'm just, you know, that meme where it's from Always Sunny in Philadelphia where he has the wall with all the strings you know, it's the conspiracy thing. Just like, hear me out. Fish farts. <laughs> Just, let me connect these dots. That's phenomenal. Yep. And it's because when you startle a herring, it squeezes that air out of its swim bladder <laughs> and it goes right out its anal tube. A little pooch because he's nervous. That's <laughs> and it apparently, like I said, herring farts sound like frying bacon. So you will never fry bacon again without thinking of herring farts. The more you know, rainbow. (laughs) Oh, Lord, this episode really has it all. Testicles, (laughs) fish parts, anal tubes. Cannibalism. (laughs) 
losing consciousness from wine to avoid murder. Art from the romantic period. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. I am so glad you and your angler fishes. (laughs) See, it's just us girls hanging out, having a good time being girls. Yes. No boys allowed in our girl club. (laughs) Unless they're just a pair of testicles. Oh, yeah. Ocean is a good theme. I am. I am thrilled. And I'm glad I went first so that we could end on fish farts. (laughs) Right? Because fish farts. And go about your day, my friends, with the knowledge that farts almost caused a Cold War. The second Cold War. Second Cold War. Second. So yeah, we'll do that. The next Raver Age will be this. The Raft of Medusa. And it's fun because my husband doesn't know any of these paintings. And then I bombard him. I'm like, tell me what you think. (laughs) And then he's pretty funny. So always a good time. Well, yeah. So if you want to find um, businesses from other listeners and all that, you can go to Facebook. It's a historical AF podcast. Be easy. And um, it's pinned at the top. So everybody has their little businesses. And uh, that way we can help each other out. If anybody wants to come to me and buy luxury bath and body goods for their friends, it's the number two W-Y-R-D-S-I-S-T-E-R-S on Facebook. Two Weird Sisters. Yeah. Come to me. Get your other bath and body goods. I do a whole bunch of other stuff. I do a really amazing uh, goat milk-based body lotion. Ooh. Lip balms are to die for. Yeah. Shop, Shop small, small Yes. Because seriously, we need y'all to stay afloat. You you help us pay rent and put food in the mouths of our furry overlords. <laughs> Amazon, they don't give a fuck. Oh, no. Not at all. Yeah. You help us live. You you help Kina be able to be here every oh, week. That's true. Yes. To put out a new podcast. You help people like me be able to be a guest star with my beautiful, you know, <laughs> shark and anglerfish. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I posted that meme the other day. It's like if you shop from a big place, nobody cares. But if you shop from small, somebody's doing a happy dance every time you make oh, an order. Shit. When I get an order, I do. I do a happy dance. And if you really want, when you place an order with me, I will have somebody record that happy dance and send it to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm sure I'm, Kina will do the same. Oh, absolutely. I get really excited. So thank you so much for joining me. I had yes. a fantastic time. And if you guys want to watch this and comment along and be awesome, join Patreon. That's patreon.com slash historical pod. And as long as you're more than a brilliant AF subscriber, you can be like us and guest star on your very own episode of Historical AF with the one and only Kina. Yay, that's me. And if you're a Patreon, please forgive me for being so behind on all the uh, extra content. It's coming, I promise. Kina had major holy crap surgery. So, you know, she's all good. Yeah. And this episode, you're going to hear on Kina's birthday. Ah, so yeah. seriously, <laughs> on Ooh. the Historical AF Speakeasy, which is the Historical AF page, <laughs> send her a happy birthday. Aw. Because hey, she deserves baby. it. Oh, I know. I'm a, I'm 
officially weighing further towards 40 than 30 now. So that's <laughs> 36. All right. Well, I'll see you guys later. Good night, everybody. Okay, bye.